Parker. How is it with your soul? Hey, Carrie, good to, good to see you. Well, in my soul these days, as always, there are some angels and there are some furies. And fortunately, uh, we're going to be exploring a poem today, a May Sarton poem on that very topic. So welcome to The Growing Edge. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer. To the words and To us and how we live between the words. Carrie, this, this poem that we're going to do today by May Sarton called The Angels and the Furies has a little bit of a history for me. Um, I began being a big May Sarton fan back in the 1970s when she was perhaps better known than she is now. But a lot of her poetry lives on for me. Uh, one that you and I both like a lot is the poem called Now I Become Myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, maybe someday we'll do that on this program. But today we've decided to focus on the angels and, and, and the furies because it struck both of us as appropriate for our times, needed in our times, um, and an opportunity to explore some important issues involving the inner and outer life. Yes, you know, I, and I was not familiar with this poem until you sent it to me. Um, and when I read it, it was it, it really it really struck home for me, and it felt really timely in, in all kinds of ways. And I, I love it. So, shall we go ahead and just read the poem, and and you know, kind of enter into this conversation and kind of unpacking it a little bit? Um, yeah, let's let's do that. Maybe I'll take the first verse, and then we can go from there. Okay, that sounds great. Um, I just want to warn our audience and you that mm-hmm. I'm terrible with languages other than sometimes being okay with English. And there is in this first stanza and, and second stanza a French phrase, premier danseur, which means lead dancer lead dancer. And I'll mangle it so even French-speaking people can't understand it, but now we know what it means. All you right. heard it here first. Okay. And so I'll just say it like a Hoosier, so there you go. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> the Angels and the Furies by May Sarton. Have you not wounded yourself and battered those you love by sudden motions of evil, black rage in the blood, when the soul, premier danseur, springs toward a murderous fall, the furies possess you. Have you not surprised yourself, sometimes by sudden motions or intimations of goodness, when the soul, premier danseur, perfectly poised, could shower blessings with a graceful turn of the head? The angels are there. The angels, the furies, are never far away while we dance, we dance, trying to keep a balance, to be perfectly human, not perfect, never perfect, never an end to growth and peril, able to bless and forgive ourselves. This is what is asked of us. It is the light that matters, the light of understanding. Who has ever reached it? Who has not met the Furies again and again? Who has reached it without sudden acts of grace? 
Well, it's a poem, obviously, <clears throat> that has a very far reach uh, in the emotional range of our lives, from anger to, I don't know what the other word is, goodness is, is one word, but that's not the opposite of, of anger. I think from anger to creativity, from, from anger uh, that's unleashed into something that's more life-giving, from what's potentially death-dealing to what's life-giving. That seems to be the range. But then her emphasis on trying to keep a balance and reach what she calls the light of understanding, it's all there. And when we post this on our website, people will be able to read this for themselves. But maybe it would be best to begin by diving into that first stanza, which focuses on uh, the furies, the anger, the black rage in the blood that springs toward a murderous fall when the furies possess us. I know that that first verse is so powerful, and that first line, there's, there's a thing in songwriting, you know, that the first line should draw you in in a way that like, oh my goodness, you know, like, I, I want to mm. know what happens. And this poem really does that. Um, I, I remember... Um, Barbara Kingsolver said to me once that a good, like a good book, the, the first paragraph makes a promise that the rest of the story keeps. And I, I always mm -hmm. love that because it really applies to the first line of a song, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, have you not wounded yourself and battered those you love by sudden motions, you know, of evil, black rage in the blood? When the soul, premier danseur, springs toward a murderous fall and the furies possess you. Has that never happened? What a, what a powerful way to start. Absolutely. And it, it, for me, it involves flashbacks where that very thing happened in my life. All the way from moments when I was raising young kids and stressed and strained and, you know, pushed to the edge, I, I got angry in a way that probably frightened them. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I never hit anybody, but I've certainly yelled at little kids um, out of the frustration of trying to keep it all together as a father and as a, as a, a worker uh, in one field or another with all the normal pressures of life. And I have to say that there's a through line uh, with my anger um, that I've really had to work on in my life. And a lot of it has been around the realm of politics in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. um, and my sense of, uh, which has been an engagement of mine for 55 or 60 years. And just the sense that there are real enemies out there, not abroad, only, but in our own country, enemies of democracy, enemies of decency, enemies of civility. And when that anger overtakes me, when the furies possess me, to quote May Sarton, uh, it's really easy for me to become an enemy myself, an enemy of those people, an enemy of yeah. decency, an enemy of civility. Because the, the, the response in me when, the fury, when I'm possessed by the Furies is so strong. And I've really had to learn uh, over time that 
the question about anger for me is not, am I supposed to have it? Of course I'm supposed to have it at certain times. Yes. But is it well-aimed, number one, and it shouldn't be aimed at kids who, you know, just needed a time out, as did I, rather than to be yelled at. Um, but it should be aimed at certain things that are really crushing of other people's souls and spirits and life chances. We see it in our country this day. But the question for me is, how can I take that energy and use it to fuel, to mobilize something some life-giving word or action that might come from me that would actually help rather than hurt the situation, myself, and other people. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. What you you were saying about coming to terms that with um, the idea that anger is not an unsuitable emotion, that it's a, it's a, it's something that happens to human beings. I think sometimes, particularly in spiritual community, it's like you should, you should be joyous. And if you're not filled with joy, then, you know, something's wrong with you or you're not doing something right. And, um, but this idea that it's not, uh, an unsuitable emotion, it's, it's, it's a human emotion. But the question is not, it, the question isn't, will I, or will I not get angry? It's like, what will I do with it? How will I channel it? Because there is righteous anger, like you were talking about in, your, in, in the wrestle that you have with what's happening right now politically in our country. That's a, that's a wrestle. How do I channel this in a way that I, I don't become part of that, a kind of spirit that, that's concerning me? <laughs> so, yeah, mm-hmm. that, um, and in the poem she talks about springing toward a murderous fall. I mean, it's like, you know, leaping out there in a way that is going to be a fall. So, um, no, that makes total sense to me, this idea of having anger, having uh, anger about particular situations, whether it's personal or in your vocation or what's happening right now in our, our political climate, um, covid I, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people. How do I channel uh, in positive ways, in life-giving ways, the frustration and the anger I'm feeling right now? Yeah, I had a the other day I had a heart-wrenching conversation with a friend who's an MD who works with other MDs mm-hmm. in a large urban healthcare system, and she started crying. She said, "I I just don't know." what to do with the anger I feel yeah. toward the people who just are, are not helping to stop this pandemic uh, in their various refusals to believe it or to act on it because they are crushing the colleagues that I work with day in and day out. And she yeah. works with many of them who, who are not only on the verge of tears, but often weeping when we work together. They are so hammered by conditions in their clinics and in their hospitals, healthcare systems. I don't know what to do with my anger. And this is a kind and loving person whom I've known for 30 years. Um, and, And it's really, really hard in those moments to know, what can I say to her or what can I say to myself that might 
be helpful. W one thing I can say to myself, and I have done on many occasions, I keep working on this, is that, okay, you're feeling angry. What will not help is to pretend you're not angry. What will not help is to pretend you're not angry. Yeah. And, you know, in white, middle-class, polite society, we pretend we're not angry all the time. Uh, here in the Midwest, we have a phrase that you know very well, Carrie. We've talked about it. Making nice oh, yeah. on people nice. or in situations where we're really ticked off. But we pretend that that's not the case. Be because making nice, pretending that we're not angry about something, eventually makes the problem worse. Repressed anger, buried anger, is going to erupt some way, some time. And as a person who's suffered from clinical depression, something I've written about in several of my books, um, I, I am very familiar with the commonplace knowledge that repressed anger is often the source of depression or one of the sources of depression. And so it's, there are high stakes for me about not repressing my anger because do enough of it and I get depressed. Yeah. And do enough of it collectively and the whole society gets depressed. And there, an argument could be made that that's where we are today. So I, I can at least eliminate one response to my anger as radically unhealthy, pathological. And that is to try to repress it. And to just pretend, pretend that mm -hmm. I ain't angry. Very, very angry. That doesn't work. And there's such a, there's such a negotiation there because... Yes, I was raised in the Midwest as a Midwestern woman, and you know, I was I was trained well to make nice, and um, and there is something valuable about taking a breath and listening first, hearing more of the story, um, being able to negotiate. Um, there are good things about that, um, about holding back on my knee jerk for a moment, a reaction. To be able to uh, to listen first, you know that's um, there's something good. There's something very um, uh, good about that that piece of it, but the piece of it where you just you just squash it down and pretend it's not happening. In the end, you know, I think anger does come out in some way, whether it's a you know, for you it was depression or physically feeling bad or. It, it builds up and then it's then and then it flies out like shrapnel everywhere. It, sometimes that in a direction that has nothing to do with the real source of your anger. So, yeah. you know. So, I think you're right. There's let's opt out of. <laughs> let's pretend it doesn't happen. It, it's not real and it doesn't happen and it's not here. So, um, that's one way it doesn't work. But there are ways of channeling that energy though, and. You know, people do that all the time in activism, in working toward, you know, well-being. In know, art. In, in art, art all the time. Yeah. Yes. Thank goodness I have uh, songs that I could place my anger in a, in a direct channel there at times. Yeah, one, one line of yours, Carrie, I don't know whether you want to talk about that song, but one line of yours that lives in my head truly does is, don't tell me hate is ever right or God's will. 
These are the things we set in motion ourselves, and the whole world waits and is waiting still. You can do the rest of it better than I. You can actually sing that, which I can't. But uh, that I've often thought about some of those themes in in your songs, which touch on this very real thing that we got going as a as human beings and have forever and ever. And and the question is, and I think this whole poem, and we might go to the second stanza now, but of holding, holding intention. <laughs> Or in, as you would say, creative tension, holding and creative tension, um, the both and of that, that mm-hmm. holding the normal process, the human process of seeing something, experiencing something and becoming angry, and then holding that at the same time with some kind of life-giving way of channeling that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to say right here, some days I do better than others. You know, and, um, and that's maybe that's why that first line, have you, when she says, have you not wounded yourself or battered those you love? Of course I have. Yeah. Of course yeah. I have. So, so that that's another, before mm-hmm. we, just one thing before we move on to the second stanza. Um, there's another reason to take these questions seriously. Do you want to keep wounding yourself? Yeah. Or not? Um, there's a there, choice there. there. There's a choice there, and there's a name, a psychological condition for those of us who want to keep wounding ourselves. It's not a happy place to be. No. So why don't you read again the uh, the second stanza? Well, actually, what, uh, I'm going to turn this around and have you, because I read it the first time, and it's always nice to hear the male and the female different voices. I, I don't know. I just love that. So Yeah, I just you find mind? your voice. I, no, I'd be glad to do that. I just find your <laughs> voice more persuasive when talking about goodness <laughs> than I find my own. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just a, just a joke, kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, second stanza. Have you not surprised yourself sometimes by sudden motions or intimations of goodness when the sole premier danseur, perfectly poised, could shower blessings with a graceful turn of the head? The angels are there. Well, I have to say I love, I love that, um, that stanza. Yeah. And I do, in fact, recognize in my own life moments when, yes, that has happened, and it's, it's, it's happened in mild ways or maybe semi-metaphorical ways. Uh, but I have a few experiences where it, where it happened kind of literally for me, and I, let me, I'd like to tell you about one, just mm. take a minute to tell the story. But for me, it, it's a story that maybe other people have experienced some version of. So at one point in my life, I was working in a situation where there was a, a person, a woman, who, uh, with whom I worked, who was an extremely, extremely difficult human being. And I was in a supervisory position in relation to her. And the issue was not just about me, but about her impact on her students. Um, she was especially toxic at times to some of the young women that she worked with. And in my supervisory role, this was a source of great concern to me. And I had really, really gotten 
crosswise with her in my feelings and in my actions, all the while knowing that I had to do something uh, for the sake of these students. I couldn't walk away and I could not make nice. Yeah. That would have been a real derogation of responsibility. Well, it turns out that this woman and I uh, attended a Quaker meeting together where we sit together in silence, and in this case, in a very simple room on benches. And it happened in the morning, most often. On this one day, I came late to the what Quakers call meeting for worship. The silence had settled. The sun was streaming in the window next to the bench where there was one space left, and it was occupied by this woman right next to that empty space. So I sat down there. It was the only place I could sit down. And I did so with a heavy heart because I thought it's going to be tough to settle into meditation or reflection sitting next to my arch enemy. Hmm. So about 15, 20 minutes in, this is an hour of silence, um, I opened my eyes, probably still agitated at least a bit, although I had settled some by then. She had her hands in a in an, in an upright position, in the, in the way of a supplicant, I guess, uh, her palms up on both hands, with her, her wrists uh, set upon her knees. And I, I looked down as I opened my eyes. Her, her left arm was illuminated by the sun coming in from this east-facing window. And as clear as day, I could see her, her heartbeat through her pulse, uh, uh-huh. through the veins in her wrist. It was throb, 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 visually in that wrist and in that vein. And in an instant, she became a human being for me. We often use the phrase, I saw her heart or I saw his heart. Well, I saw her heart that day. Literally. Literally, in a way that I could not see it spiritually. Yeah. And that had a huge impact on me. This is another human being with a beating heart, with blood flowing in her veins, who's got real, real problems, and I can't walk away from them. Um, But... Somehow, I came out of that meeting able to re-engage with all of that in a life-giving way, which a way which actually solved the problem. Yeah. The, the details are not important, but what's important is, is a moment of sudden motions or intimations of goodness. When the soul, premier dancer, perfectly poised, showered blessings with a graceful turn of the head. Yeah. My head turned. I saw her heart. And yes, the angels were there, as Sartan says in the second stanza of this poem. And it reoriented me in a way that was, to use a word I don't really don't like very much, actionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was able actually to act on what was a new embodiment of literally of who this person was, I'd, um, 
I love that story. I mean, and that that sense of sometimes there is this small motion internally or for you actually externally um, and physically a small turn of the head, a change of perspective. And with that change of perspective comes a, a different kind of seeing, a new frame. And with that new frame, there was a new way to uh, to work with this particular person, to, ch- to channel. You know, it, it didn't mean that she stopped being irritating. <laughs> I, I wouldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a new way of of um, of working with her. And also I found when I can rise to that, people do respond. Not always, but people often, when when they're being treated like a person who's holding, you know, a measure of light in them, even when they're in a dark place, people do respond to that. You're holding, in some ways, you're kind of holding that light for them. Mm-hmm. And if I can, if I can hold it, if I can frame it in that way, a mm-hmm. shift can happen. And in right. that shift, there's, there's possibility. Yeah. And I think people are more likely to respond if you don't well, again, if you don't pretend, if you, if you don't do something because you're trying to get them to respond. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing you do, the, the transformation has to be genuine, I guess is the way to say it. Or people yeah. will, will, will see the fakery. They, they will not trust the interaction. But in this case, it was so genuine for me. It hasn't always been so. But it was so genuine for me that this woman was actually able to accept the critique of what she was doing and to bow out uh, gracefully on terms that were acceptable yeah. to her from that job. And I, I'm certain that all of that was because, you know, you're lying, this is going to take a, a change of heart. Yeah. I, a change of heart happened in me, not because I willed it, but because it happened <laughs> in, on the heels of that observation. And, and that kind of makes me, uh, you know, this sense of, of um, gracefulness, that there, is, there are the furies in our lives, and yet there are, are these moments and elements and times when, even against all odds, a shift will happen, that there's an opening I remember I was I was biking down the road. I like to cycle, and uh, and these you know country roads out here in in southern Indiana, and it was I remember it was um, autumn, and it's that you know that glowy light, that beautiful golden light in the evening. But I was mulling on something. Something had happened. It was bothering me. I was just you know, and it's it's like the wheels of my bike were turning. The wheels of my mind were turning in this like mm. kind of dark, angry place. And and right at that moment, you know, these three beautiful yellow finches flew right across, almost almost in front of my face. Just flew mm. in front of me, lit up by that golden light. They were they were. It was like something dropped out of, like golden coins dropped out of the sky or something. It was just like this moment, and it just flipped me into the here and now. It's like, ah, oh, there is mm. this glowing golden light all around me. And mm-hmm. reframed, kind of reframed how I was thinking about the problem I was mulling mm-hmm. on, 
mm-hmm. you know, the way I was mauling on it. Um, and, you know, there was just this moment of shift. And, and mm. it's not like I willed it, but there was a, a graceful shift that, that mm-hmm. kind of helped me with that. And mm-hmm. so what you were talking about, something was an internal thing that was working with a particular person and problem. And I think for me, that was that story was more about an internal working Mm-hmm. And, you know, internal shifts that can happen uh, in a moment, in a moment of grace. And I like the angels are there. Yeah, I was thinking that in your biking you know, story, they're right there. They're right there. And um, and every now and then, I think, I, I, I find that in the natural world a lot, that in the mm-hmm. natural world, there are always moments that surprise me, like, Take me, smack me right into the here and now, because something will happen. It's like that; those three golden finches, the light coming through the trees. Uh, this this uh, weekend, um, it was raining like crazy, but it was that a farmer's rain, straight down, beautiful. But the light, you know, usually it's cloudy, completely lit up, and and the, and every drop was kind of illuminated, you know, like. Mm-hmm. And I'd been busy and doing something, getting ready for something. And it's like, you know, often there'll be these little moments. And that can happen in nature. It also can happen with uh, situations and people, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Being with grandkids can do that for me. Any Anything that puts it in perspective, right? And before we go on to the third verse, and I know we we're both eager to get there because there's great stuff in it, um, it just it, it seems to me that your your story reinforces my sense that what we have to do with with all our emotions is to, is to keep all the channels as open as we possibly can. Yeah. Here you, you were engaged in this really inner struggle uh, around your anger about whatever, but you had your eyes open and yeah. uh, were able to really take in not just see but to to take in this, this uh, flight of golden light that appeared in front of you. And I know that for me, one of the real downsides of getting lost in my anger is that all my other channels of perception shut down. Yeah. Um, anger, anger is very good at that. And it narrows everything in. It narrows everything. And you kind of mm-hmm. feel that in this country today, we are overwhelmed with so much anger on every side of, of every issue that, as the old saying goes, we can't see the forest for the trees. Um, you know, some people are so angry about this issue or that, that they seem to have forgotten about the treasure, the precious treasure that democracy itself is, and that our yeah. kinship with other human beings is, um, no matter what the demographic. So, working to keep those channels open so that we can can catch everything that's there or a lot of what's there seems like a really critical task. And what are the practices that help us keep those channels open? You know, um, I think in our last podcast, we talked about the broken open heart and that the practice of, of living with a broken open heart Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, and how, you know, keeping those channels open, how it makes a difference. Because when you need it, then <laughs> those graceful shifts of the head are more more uh, available to us. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know? exactly. And for those out there, you know, who are rooted in some branch of the biblical tradition, uh, that text is full of statements like, this is for those who have ears to hear. This is for those who have eyes to see. The implication is not everybody's going to get it, but if you keep your eyes and ears open, you might. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's who this is, this is aimed at. The speaker is, is kind of saying, I, I know this is going to fall on deaf ears and closed eyes, but uh, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll fall somewhere else as well. So you want to turn to the, the third sure. verse? And would you read it for us? I would love to. Um, the angels, the furies, are never far away. While we dance, we dance. Trying to keep a balance, to be perfectly human, not perfect, never perfect, never an end to growth and peril, able to bless and forgive ourselves. This is what is asked of us. I love, I love that verse. Um, the angels and the furies are never far away. We are all in, we are all in all of it. You know, I, I think that's important too. We are angels and we are furies and, and everything in between. Um, yeah, I love it. While we dance, we dance. Here we are. Um, but those key lines, to be perfectly human, not perfect, never perfect, mm -hmm. never an end to growth and peril. Yeah. I, I just came off of a conversation, Carrie. Uh, I hadn't anticipated this when we decided to do this podcast on this poem, but I just came off of a conversation about conversations between races, mm. uh, especially conversations where white people, like me, are trying to learn more about something that we can never, we can never fully or profoundly understand, which is what it feels like to be a person of color in this society, or in the case of a, of a straight person like me, part of the LGBTQ plus community. How does that feel? How can I understand more deeply? How can I at, you know, get in some relationship to that experience that will, that will deepen my, my empathy, my understanding, my, my, my simple knowledge of how it feels to stand in someone else's shoes? I can only understand that very, very partially, but I need to try, right? A lot of us feel that I need to try. The conversation quickly turned to how afraid a lot of white people are, or straight people are, about engaging those conversations. The fear is around the notion that they will make some mistake, oh. that they will say something wrong, mm -hmm. that they will offend, that they will screw up in some way. Yeah. And if there's one thing that's true of a lot of people like me, we don't like to screw up. Mm. Um, and we don't like to offend, at least not overtly. Yeah. And we don't, we especially don't like to be called on it. So this is where this whole notion that I'm not perfect, I'm never perfect, never an end to growth and peril, peril, danger. Mm -hmm. um, uh, where did we lose the notion that real learning involves peril? Yeah. Where did, where did we lose the notion that if I don't show up with my mistakes, my errors, my misperceptions in conversations of this sort, that I'll ever be able to learn anything worth, worth knowing? 
anything a bit deeper than what I already know. Where did I lose the guts to be who I am in a conversation where my whole intent, hope, and aim is to become larger than who I am? Yeah. Uh, you, you never learn stuff like that if you're hiding behind a wall of fear and self-defense. Able, and here I'm quoting Sartan again, able to bless and forgive ourselves. This is what is asked of us. Um, ultimately, it doesn't really, really matter if someone else can't forgive me in the moment. Um it matters a lot that I'm able to forgive myself and walk away saying, I learned something. Um, I, a few months back, I was talking with a, an extremely annoying expert. There's a short list I have. I'd be glad to share it but, <laughs> of such people. But um, this fellow kept correcting my way of wording things from his field of expertise. That in itself is kind of annoying because there's, there's more graceful ways to do that. But about the third time he corrected me, he said, I'm sorry to keep correcting you. I said, hey, don't need to apologize. That's the whole purpose of a conversation for me to learn something I don't know at the moment. And I'm learning how to word these things better. That actually made his subsequent responses less uh, sneering, critical, and judgmental. But whether it had had that impact or not, I would have felt good about myself, which I do, for having been able to say the truth. That's what a good conversation is all about. So I screwed up. Big deal. I learned something. That's important. And and I think, too, that idea of of never an end to growth and peril, that vulnerability involves risk. You know, that there is a peril in, in getting out to the growing edge to, to try to learn something, to expand beyond what I am today. You know, it, you know it's, it, it's going to involve um, peril and making mistakes and getting in my own way, <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. you know, which I'm sure you've never done. Um, uh, but, <laughs> no. <laughs> and no one listening has ever done that, you know. Uh, um, but that's <laughs> that idea of uh, risk and peril, and you know, stepping right into an and into something new. Um, it's it it does take a lot of courage, um, but the, the rewards are great. I mean, the, I mean, it's like it's like wow. My dad used to say, you know, like I remember telling him that I didn't ask a question in class because I, I I I thought it was a stupid question. And and he said no. And he said, "There's a person who doesn't ask who never finds out." Mm-hmm. You know. You bet. And that was that was a really good thing to you know. It's like there's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah. You just you know because otherwise you never find out. Yeah. So it, it, it's fascinating to me. It just for a moment. I mean, this is I don't. This is not something that one can ever resolve or has to resolve, but. I wonder sometimes about the the word courage. It, it it does take courage to take a risk and to learn something maybe in an embarrassing way. But I sometimes feel in my better moments that it, it sort of takes more courage to remain stupid. Um, you know, mm. like you know it's not working for you. Well, you know that. this is not the path to a good life. 
Mm-hmm. But by God, I'm going to screw up my courage and just say, stay as stupid as I've ever been. I don't want to learn. You know, I don't want to learn a single thing. No more personal growth. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that may that may be the harder path, you know. <laughs> well, ultimately, you know, it's yeah. It, ultimately, as, <laughs> people can't see the poem, but when she says ourselves, it's capitalized and yeah. able to bless and forgive ourselves you know this kind of sense of treasuring yeah and cherishing of of our own um self and foibles and mistakes and missteps and glorious and graceful turns of the head that we've also been able to rise to so that's a wonderful stanza and i love how she ends it is. This is what is asked of us, is her last line. This is what is asked of us. And it is. And it's it's not a somebody doing the asking. It's kind of the cosmos. You know? mm-hmm. It's like, listen up, uh, look up, look around, look down. This is, this is your life. Learn about it. And, you know, a phrase that I've been saying since 2016 um, was... You know, we are being we are being asked, we are being called to be better people than we ever thought we would need to be. Absolutely. And I think through this pandemic, through um, a, a lot of uh, you know, we've been living in this kind of very uncertain, unraveling, concerning times that you know we're being called uh, to be able to bless and forgive ourselves for doing the best we can. With, you know what we know at the time um, yeah, exactly so who, who, who knew what it, what we would be called upon to do in order to be good citizens in this time uh, that, yeah. that's you know that I mean people around the world have figured that out because they've lived under authoritarian and totalitarian regimes and yep. under radically incompetent governments to the point of no government Americans, I've been fat and happy for 240 years, and uh, we uh, we have some learning to do that involves slings and arrows that we now receive for being good citizens. Yeah. So it's an important poem. Well, should we go to the last stanza? Yeah. Why don't you Let go us ahead do and it. Is it one? my turn to read? It's your turn. All right. It is light that matters the light of understanding. Who has ever reached it who has not met the Furies again and again? Who has reached it without those sudden acts of grace? So here Mm. she lands, I think, this beautiful poem in a beautiful place. She's saying, if you want to get to the light, if you want to walk in the light, if you want to live in the light, it's going to take you in and out of the Furies and the Angels yeah. uh, over a long period of time. Darkness and light, yes and no, um, I'm okay, I'm not okay kinds of feelings. Um, and, and, and we have to understand that whole cycle. I've been thinking throughout this, Carrie, that maybe I'll, I'll write a physics of the emotions. <laughs> If it had, it's a book that would have only one page because it has only one thought in it. 
<laughs> I'll put it out on Kindle. It'll only be five or six books. I'll read it. Uh, <laughs> I read all I was thinking, thought. thinking about the fact <laughs> physicists tell us that the total number of atoms in the universe have never has never changed. They just keep combining and recombining in different forms. That the yeah. same number that were here at the Big Bang are here now in different manifestations, and that the atoms in us are the same as the atoms in the stars. And I was thinking that no human emotion that's in us or put out into the world has ever disappeared. It just keeps recycling and manifesting in different ways, a physics of the emotions. And so what we can do, if, even if we can't grow the whole cosmos or grow the whole planet in the direction of the angels rather than the furies, we can grow ourselves in that direction. Yeah. Because those all of the atoms are available. That means we ourselves are going to be recycling the whole process. You know, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. The life of the individual recapitulates or rehearses the life of the cosmos um, from, from the Big Bang to... Um, the end of time. And, and it's just fascinating to me to hold on to this notion that I'm just part of this cosmic process of tiny, 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 infinitesimal part. But my part is important yeah. because it's my life and my connections, my relationships, my impact on the world. So thus endeth my physics of the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I, you know, if not a book, a broadside, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a poster, I, yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, this last this last verse, you know, who has not met the Furies again and again? Who has reached it without those sudden acts of grace? There's a certain kind of holding, holding hope, you know, hold, holding uh, this this idea that, yep, we're going to keep on learning and we're going to keep making mistakes and we're going to keep hopefully expanding and learning. Um, but who has reached that without these moments uh, of shift? Of the the angels are here, the shifts are here, and you know, open keeping those channels open. You know, who has ever reached it without sudden acts of grace? It's kind of holding that container of. Um, it is possible. It's possible. It's happening all the time, every day. Um, yeah. Uh, it's the light that matters. Who has ever reached it? Who has not met the Furies again and again? Who has reached it without grace, a sudden act of grace? I just, it's just such a beautiful way. And like I said, sometimes it's hard to hold hope for ourselves. I don't know if that's ever, like, happened. You know, it's like, I know when you've, you know, really been experiencing depression, that idea of holding your own hope. You know, there've been there've been times in my life when I've been really working hard on something, and um, I've done a lot of work with trauma. And so, there's hard, it's hard sometimes when um, you're holding. It's hard to hold hope that day, that particular moment, that particular hour yourself, and to know that something else is holding it for you, yes. that a person is holding it for you, yes. that the, that, uh, the angels are holding it for you until you're ready to hold it again yourself. 
So I, I really love that about this verse, that it kind of, it, it creates this container of hope. Yes, absolutely. And you know, Carrie, I didn't know I was going to say this, but it's with me very much right now. Your music holds hope for a lot of people. Oh. Um, partly because of You're some nice. of the places it comes from and some of the things you know from being there. And you have a song that I really, really love that in certain respects it seems to me kind of goes through this, the whole course of this conversation. It's, it's the song called Throwing Rocks at the Moon. <laughs> it's, from yeah. your, it's from your new album. And I just, I love it as an expression of the anger that we've been talking about, but also in the music itself and in the lyrics, the, the, the angels of light and understanding. Yeah, uh, Throwing Rocks at the Moon is really so much about getting in my own way and um, doing really very much the process that we've just been going through with this poem. But so the secret is that that last conversation in the last verse between the two people, that's me and you. you know? so, I don't <laughs> I think just you even knew that. that. <laughs> that was a conversation we had well my brief intro to the song is let those who have ears hear. <laughs> she was staring out the kitchen door she closed her eyes I crossed the floor In the last embers of the day She said I'm bone tired of being brave Being brave Piled it up and we lit a match Let it all burn down the smoke and ash A dumpster fire out there on the lawn let it burn until it all was gone, all was gone. A little relief could come too soon. Quit an old plate to change its tune. But it seems I've been throwing, just throwing rocks at the moon. But finally forgave In a cloud of dust You drove away I couldn't say goodbye I only waved Only waved A little relief Couldn't come too soon Waiting on fate To change its tune But it seems I've been throwing Just throwing rocks At the moon Tried to work hard, outrun or outsmart. In the book before I read the middle part, every new twist and every scene took me somewhere I needed to be.
this all means Maybe someday it'll be redeemed That's the long and the short of it A good song usually hurts just a little bit You ask me why, why me or you You said why not, I said I guess that's true It's easy to be lost as to be found I guess it's time to lay these old rocks down Lay them down A little relief couldn't come too soon Waiting on fate to change its tune But it seems I've been throwing Just throwing rocks at the moon Thank you, Carrie. I really love that song. There's no way to wrap up this conversation in just a few words, but let me, let me conclude with a, a quote from Florida Scott Maxwell that both you and I love a lot. Uh, she was in her 90s when she wrote this. You need only claim the events of your life to make yourself yours. When you truly possess all you have been and done, you are fierce with reality. I love the idea of being fierce with reality, and reality is both the angels and the furies. been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning direction and production. And even though there's shadow and light, man, does she carry a lot.